Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia, with your hosts Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. Latvian Museum, and welcome to episode number fifty-one of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am one of your hosts for today, Joe Horgan, and I am so excited because I am joined by not just one, but two of my wonderful co-hosts, Otto Tabuns and uh, Olive Nickars, over in Berlin. So, uh, Olives and Otto, how are you today? Uh, hello, dear listeners. We have brilliant weather here in Berlin. It's uh, it's still uh, almost the summer. We are enjoying the time here pretty much. <laughs> so, one thing that we can say is Grusaus Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, the weather here in Yelgova has not quite, I think, been um, so so wonderful. It's been very, very rainy lately. Um, it's been uh, a, a little bit cold. And uh, I think we can start by talking about the weather for the next few days. Uh, so this is for Yelgova. I'm being a little bit uh, arrogant today. So we do the weather for different parts of Latvia in different episodes. But uh, but I'm going to do it for Yelgova because I, I kind of want to know um, what the weather is going to be like over the next few days. So... Saturday, unfortunately, is a day to stay indoors. 60% chance of rain, mostly cloudy, 14 degrees. Uh, not a great day to, I guess, kind of be out and about unless you have good clothing because, uh, you know, we do say that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad uh, clothing. Uh, Sunday, it's going to be even colder. Again, a 60% chance of rain, but that's going to be kind of scattered throughout the day with some different showers. So uh, might be a little bit better day to to be outside and do whatever you want to be doing. Um, on Monday, it's going to drop down to nine, negative one at night. So we're going to have some frost, 55% chance of rain throughout the day. Uh, then Tuesday, it's going to drop even lower. So it's going to be four degrees during the day, negative two at night, uh, mostly sunny, about a 7% chance of rain. Then on Wednesday, a week from now, it's going to be six degrees, zero at night. It's going to be partly cloudy, partly sunny, but a 25% chance of rain. And uh, that should bring us into the next episode. So Otto and Olives, uh, what do you think? Do you have the feeling that the warm weather is pretty much done at this point? Well, probably that would be the end of the warm uh, autumn or the Indian summer. Well, we cannot tell that here in Berlin because it's quite nice, as Olives mentioned, but probably uh, that might be the beginning or the approach of winter in Latvia. What do you think, Olives? Uh, it's time. It's 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 time. Uh, uh, winter uh, is sometimes we uh, experience snow uh, late October, and and I think uh, we can have snow pretty soon. Yeah, and according to LSM, um, there's a pretty big chance of snow throughout the end of October in different parts of Latvia. Definitely further up in northern Latvia. Uh, so I think here in Yelgova, we're uh, not going to see any for a little bit more time. Um, but uh, already, I guess, at the end of October, we're going to see some more frost. But uh, one very interesting story related to this, uh, this was uh, LSM who was reporting this, Latvian public media. This is in the English section and also the Latvian section as well. So uh, apparently there is this uh, form of strawberry. There's this breed of strawberry that has been um, developed in Latvia. This is uh, Ilmars Gulbis, who is the owner of this greenhouse uh, up in uh, Lydi parish where uh, the strawberries are being grown. And apparently, uh, according to to him, and I don't know if this has been uh, published in any kind of scientific journal yet, but uh, even when the temperatures drop below zero, uh, the strawberries were not damaged because uh, usually, I mean, you know, we, we think of strawberries as a summer fruit, as, uh, you know, something that can only grow in summer. So that's pretty impressive if uh, these strawberries are still able to survive under uh, sub-zero temperatures. What do you guys think? Oh, certainly. Uh, we found some uh, very good strawberries in here as well, but apparently they have been lucky not to go through what the Latvian strawberries had to survive. Yeah, and apparently, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm i not particularly surprised because, you know, Latvia uh, has, you know, made uh, quite a few developments, you know, throughout the years in, in agriculture and in, uh, you know, food technologies and in growing. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty amazing if, um, you know, we do have a form of strawberries that can grow in uh, such cold weather. So not not very surprising, but but very exciting, I think. Yeah, and it's not so bad, actually. We have to remember that Latvia is also one of the northernmost places in the world where they actually grow grape wine, so you never know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, um, 
we'll have to, uh, I don't know, I'd like to taste these and, and see how they are. But uh, something that is not so sweet this week for Yauna Conservative Partia, uh, that is uh, the largest uh, party in the governing coalition, the second largest party in uh, parliament. So this was the news that the Supreme Court's plenary session has decided that there is not any reason to uh, dismiss the prosecutor general, that is Eric's Kalnmeyer's. And uh, Otto and Olives, uh, I was wondering, can you give, uh, so we've talked about this issue before in some previous episodes, but for those of uh, our listeners who haven't been listening previously, can you explain what exactly is the beef between uh, Yona Conservativa Partia and the Prosecutor General? What, what what exactly is the drama here? Well, I think it uh, continues the uh, policy that the Young Conservative Party announced before the election that they would seek reform uh, in the systems that they uh, find stagnating. And those include both the judicial sector and also the education system, both of which uh, came uh, under the um, oversight of the party after forming the government. Uh, because in both of these cases, as with education, we all already saw it that, well, the University of uh, Latvia enjoys the academic autonomy, uh, whereas the uh, judicial system, of course, has the autonomy that is given by the constitutional separation of powers. So uh, if we could see that it has been easier for Atisti by par in the case of dealing with municipalities uh, to deal, for example, uh, with the issues with uh, the former mayor of Riga, uh, Ushikovs, then for the the Conservative Party it is more difficult because these systems are uh, much less uh, available for maneuvers like this. And uh, specifically the issue is with Yanis Bordons, who is the Minister of Justice, who is also the leader of Yana Conservative Partia. And uh, so previously he said that he discovered that there were um, indications that the uh, Prosecutor General, Mr. Kalmeyers, um, apparently he does not have the impeccable reputation, as uh, Letta put it, the Latvian Information Agency, that uh, is required for this position. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that the Supreme Court has made a reasonable decision here? Or uh, do you think that Yauna uh, Conservative Party has a reason to, to appeal? Uh, well, they can't really appeal this decision because it's the Supreme Court. But do you think they have reason to be unhappy about the decision? Uh, in my opinion, uh, it is a very difficult case because if we speak among ourselves, uh, what is the uh, aspect of a reputation? What are the uh, characteristics that define it? I think that it is quite difficult to define it in an uh, everyday conversation and even more difficult in a uh, legal discussion where you have to set the criteria and then try to measure it or uh, define so what actions do constitute a violation of an impeccable reputation because there are a number of positions that uh, would require uh, such a reputation and this would certainly then set a precedent of what is or isn't uh, it uh, so uh, perhaps uh, the Supreme Court took this more cautious approach as uh, perhaps also the argumentation for such a decision was not provided uh, in the required amount to absolutely say that, oh yes, this is uh, the way how we define reputation and these are the specific actions that would uh, violate its impeccability. I think uh, basically what we see is that uh, in this case, uh, for example, politicians, uh, they just can't say we don't like this uh, official, we don't like this person and we don't like it so much that, sh- that this person, uh, this official should be removed. And I think what the uh, Supreme Court answered that this is not, the, so these grounds are not sufficient, not, uh, uh, not um, strong enough uh, to really proceed with such a decision. Yeah, so, so so perhaps the minister should reconsider this criteria or this position uh, which uh, he chose uh, to uh, question the position of prosecutor general. And I, I think that's a fantastic um, explanation that you gave right there because, yeah, with something as difficult to define as uh, reputation or not having an impeccable reputation, I think in the case of dismissing somebody, then the benefit of the doubt should definitely be with the one whose uh, job is, uh, you know, in in the crosshairs. Um, but I do want to play the devil's advocate for just one moment, and I, I want to see how how you guys would respond to this. So, uh, in the last election, so back in the two thousand sixteen, uh, sorry, two thousand eighteen election, which is 
already uh, more than a year ago. Uh, obviously, there was kind of this mandate for the parties that promised some kind of uh, meaningful political change. A lot of people were unhappy with the current uh, system of parties in place and and thought that there was political stagnation and that uh, you know th- things really needed to, to get done. Um, what would you say to people who would look at this decision and go, oh, this is just the old system, or as we might say in America, like the deep state, you know, if, if uh, you're conspiratorial, this is just the old system protecting itself and nothing's really changing. What, what would you say to those people? Well, uh, certainly uh, we are a, a democracy in progress. So we are still developing. Well, we have done quite well in uh, 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 relatively to some other countries. Uh, but certainly uh, there are some processes that still uh, require fine-tuning. Uh, at the same time, we have to remember that a political mandate or what we would write in a political program uh, in almost all terms does not fall under the law. Uh, well, there are things that you uh, cannot uh, or you could call but you may not call under the law for example to incite uh, violence or to question the integrity of the state but at the same time you could call for whatever you want but that doesn't mean that when you get to the parliament you have the legal powers to do so uh, a political party could run on a mandate that they would like to take away the voting rights uh, from men mm-hmm. and maybe majority of women would uh, accept this uh, hypothetically but that doesn't mean that in a rule of law country it is possible. And I think, uh, which is also very important, is that when we consider the, the, our the political culture, uh, how the decisions are made, uh, how, how the arguments are stated, uh, what is the argumentation, what is the grounds of, of any announcement. So uh, sometimes uh, it's, it's very important to back up uh, the political argument and political statements with the stronger evidence and analysis and knowledge, uh, which, which should add to the Latvian political culture, I think, still. Well, um, there is one other minister who is uh, a little bit, I guess, more satisfied with the work of the prosecutor general because he uh, made a call to the prosecutor general that is uh, Mr. Juris Putze, who is the minister of uh, environmental protection and regional defense, which, again, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Latvian political system, you might think that, well, like, well, you know, that doesn't sound like a very important role. But it's quite important because uh, this minister, Mr. Putze, is basically in charge of the uh, municipalities here in, in Latvia. And um, he actually was the one who initiated the dismissal of uh, Mayor uh, Niels Ushakovs a few months ago. So uh, he has been uh, turning to the prosecutor general over uh, Riga City Council's basically uh, inaction in uh, bringing a lawsuit against the former board of Riga Satexme, which is uh, the uh, public transport uh, company in Riga. It's a semi-public company that's uh, mostly owned by the city government. Um, now, uh, we will not get into all of the details of uh, what's wrong with uh, Riga Satexme because there are uh, many different uh, scandals which we've been covering over the last year. Um, but uh, Otto and Olevs, I want to see what do you think? So um, what should Riga City Council have done already in the situation, and do you think that the Prosecutor General is going to take this more seriously than uh, City Council has? Uh, I think that in this case there could be a legitimate argument that uh, there should be the responsibility uh, following the failure to act uh, by the public official in question because that's what the criminal law says it is not like that that you get to be elected a politician you become a public official and then let's say uh, you decide on where the money goes uh, let's say money is misspent and then as a result nothing happens well uh, the law gives us the instrument uh, to uh, <laughs> pursue this and prevent this and uh, perhaps uh, to uh, find some kind of a restitution or compensation uh, if uh, something like this happens because there should be responsibility if uh, our taxpayer money is misspent and lost and this is apparently also the argument that the minister is trying to make because uh, of the information that uh, we heard uh, apparently there have been um, several violations the question of big sums of money and uh, it would be the question whether uh, 
the representatives of the city council uh, who were the representatives in the uh, Satixma as a capital company that they had to act as a prudent and careful manager what our law uh, prescribes and uh, that they have failed to do so and I think that uh, situation itself when uh, for example uh, here the regional uh, the ministry is the is the body who really who, who goes to the a prosecutor and tells them you see there's a problem in normal situation uh, Riga city council should have uh, a kind of any of self-control uh, mechanism or, or something uh, which which could be uh, on, 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 on first uh, like alert system uh, if something goes wrong we can't wait uh, while somebody else in the government or or, or or maybe even outside Latvia would say uh, guys you, you see Riga city council there's something wrong and this situation is not normal yeah and again I you know th- this is I think quite a different situation than you know the first story that we talked about because you know with uh, Mr. Bordon's uh, making the complaint against uh, Mr. Kalmayer's you know it's it's very non-concrete in terms of like what specifically uh, went against this idea of reputation you know it, it's it's much harder to sell the public on I think whereas with Rigasatics may I mean you know take your pick I mean in terms of uh, you know the the issues in terms of misspent money in terms of like fake contracts you know I mean uh, the, the, the the list just goes on i mean we we could uh i mean we have spent entire episodes basically talking about you know what's what's wrong with uh the public transit firm um so do you guys think that uh this is going to go any further do you do you uh what's your prognosis on this uh is there going to be any consequences or at least um an opening of a of a criminal process against the former uh board which was dismissed by the way because of these allegations well, hopefully this will be a wake-up call for the Riga City Council and maybe under the new uh, uh, formation uh, in the sense of who is in charge, uh, uh, the Riga City Council would still have the chance to do something so that this would only serve as a warning and they shouldn't uh, go as far as to actually go to the court and then have uh, public money spent uh, in litigating the possible inaction by public officials, so we would lose the money uh, in a double. And I hope that this situation will be also a wake-up call for the municipality of Riga in order to avoid uh, those uh, kind of situations happening again and introducing uh, self-controlling systems in the future which could prevent uh, similar situations. Well, we certainly hope so, because uh, it does, you know, again, it does seem like there is some change happening on Riga City Council, you know, maybe not revolutionary, but evolutionary changes, as uh, Mr. Um, uh, Christianus Karnes, the prime minister, once uh, kind of used that phrase. Uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't seem like everything's changing overnight, but there is a, I don't know, it seems like there's a new course being uh, plotted. So let, let's hope that... Uh, that we move away from that. But anyway, we are going to move away from Riga completely. We're going to go down to Yelgova, where I am right now. And um, this is uh, following up on a story that we covered last week. And I made a prediction, and it has 100% come true. So last week, we talked about the new municipal reform. And uh, this is a story that we've been covering for quite some time already. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, basically, the idea is that uh, the government is trying to reduce the amount of municipalities or kind of counties, as we'd say in America, uh, regions from uh, 119. And the number keeps growing. So originally, um, the original number, I think, was something like 34. Then they've increased it a few times. And uh, the big drama was over whether or not there would be these uh, city uh, cities of the Republic. So th- there's nine cities of the Republic, uh, Riga, uh, Liepaja, Daugopils, Yelgova, and then a few others. And the idea was that uh, these cities of the Republic would no longer exist. They would be merged with uh, counties nearby. And uh, so the government changed course on this last week, and they decided, okay, well, we're going to make exceptions. Well, there already were exceptions for Riga and Yormala, basically, but we're also going to make exceptions for Liepaja, Daugopils, and Resigne. And Liepaja and Daugopils were, I think, a lot easier to swallow for other municipalities because, again, these are the second and third largest cities in the country. But Resigne is quite a bit smaller. I mean, right, right around uh, 29,000 uh, inhabitants. And my prediction was that uh, cities like Yelgova and Valmira, which are larger, uh, would 
complain about this and say, well, you know, why does Resignate get to keep their status and we don't? And uh, Mr. Andres Ravinch, who is the mayor of Yelgova, has been mayor of Yelgova for quite some time. I think probably Otto, uh, just about as long as you can remember, right? Well, I do remember the mayor who was before him, but that, of course, was uh, a long time ago in my childhood. <laughs> probably back then you were the only person who, who knew who the mayor was. You, you were like that kid in the class who, you know, could name, uh, could name all the ministers and everything when most people... Uh, you know, we're learning their ABCs or something like that. But Mr. Ravinch, he uh, wrote a formal complaint to uh, the the Ministry of uh, Regional Defense and um, sorry, the Ministry of uh, Environmental Defense and and uh, Regional Development. Uh, that's Mr. Yuris Putze again, uh, the, the one who we were just talking about. Wrote the letter to the um, uh, Prosecutor General, and uh, Mr. Ravinch basically made the points that I made. That well, why in the world does the city? That uh, you know has half as many inhabitants as Yelgova get to keep their uh, Republican city status, and we don't. And uh, Otto and Olives, I wanted to get your take. So first of all, do you think that the uh, ministry and that the government will be willing to make more exceptions? That they could allow maybe even all of the cities of the republic to keep their um, status. And uh, the more important question is: Do you think that it would be prudent? to uh, allow, for example, Yelgova and Ventspils and Valmira and Jakobils to keep their uh, special statuses? Um, Joe, I think um, that the status of Republic City uh, indicates uh, it's a kind of uh, centers of uh, development. I see, I see the, this, uh, this status uh, as a um, government uh, uh, has marked, okay, these are, these are centers of development as well. Uh, if we go to reduce the number of these centers to uh, Liepai, Rezekne and Daugopils, but to exclude Yalgova, I, I think uh, this uh, uh, this is this is not a good um, overall. It's, it's not a good sign and not, not a good um, uh, uh, trend uh, for promoting other centers of development across the Republic, across the Latvia, and and I think for for that point of view. Strategically, it could be uh, it could be worse to keep those uh, st- uh, those the, those statuses uh, and and for Yalgov as well, in order to underline that Yalgov is one of the center of development uh, for the for the country. Otherwise, uh, I understand concerns of Mr. Ravinch that Yalgov. Th- th- this is this is this is a, a matter of status of status. It's a matter of uh, kind of prestige. Matter of uh, of, of uh, strategical aspects of development of of the city and the area, and I think in this sense, Yalgov uh, uh, would would be uh, in more beneficial situation if that status could be kept, not uh, not not removed uh, uh, of of uh, from the Yalgov. Yeah, uh, Oles, I think you made some really good points because that's exactly what Mr. Ravitch also mentioned, uh, mentioned in the uh, message that he wrote to the government is that, you know, we have, you know, the the palace, we have uh, this very important university, that we are um, an important historical center of Latvia, that, you know, basically we were the capital of, um, you know, like a, a country for a, for a few hundred years uh, functionally. And uh, and th- those are basically exactly the points he made. Uh Otto, I, I want to get your take too, because you know you are a native Yelgovniks. Uh, so, so how how do you feel about uh, Mr. Ravinch's um, comments, and, and what do you think about the uh, potential of losing the uh, status? Uh, I could understand the pragmatic approach and the uh, critique that comes from this uh, reasoning that if we look at uh, Rezekne city and the Rezekne district, so the resignate without the city well these two entities together would uh, make as much of a population as yalgo city itself so it would be strange that uh, resignate would uh, be a separate uh, municipality and then the resignate district would be the second uh, district while uh, yalgo would be joined in uh, the district of Yalgovan form let's say around like 80 or 90,000 people unit uh, as it would be in the case of Liepai where there was interest both from the side of the city of Liepai and the parishes around it to, to keep the governance separate I could understand that but I hope that it will not mean that let's say this uh, uh, Liepai district other than the city would get additional money to uh, 
subsidize uh, their administration well they might choose to do so but they should be able to do it uh, themselves and in the case of uh, Rezekne I would uh, prefer that they would keep uh, their uh, district not only the city but also the surrounding parishes because that would make more uh, economic sense for the rest of the country Well, we'll have to see how this shakes out because this is a story, you know, we've been basically covering for pretty much a year now because this was one of the major election issues. Um, although the uh, kind of draft law is being looked at right now, um, you know, there, there are almost certainly going to be amendments uh, as there have been. So we'll have to see. But uh, but it looks like there will be some kind of form of uh, territorial reform. And uh, But the, the big question is how will it look in the end? So we will continue updating you on that. Uh, our next section, <laughs> so I, I've named it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, because we have three stories that have to do with those forms of transportation. Uh, the first story right here is about Riga Airport, which is the largest in the Baltic states. But apparently uh, there was one board member of the airport, that's uh, Artur's uh, Savalyevs. Uh, how did I do with that name, Otto? Oh, very well. Thank you very much. Uh, so Otto is always auto-correcting me. Um, so he is one of the board members of the airport. He was on uh, Latvia's Radio Vienz on the 22nd of October. And uh, he said that even though Riga Airport is one of the uh, fastest growing airports in all of Europe, that uh, there isn't really the um, necessary development in the infrastructure, also in the uh, workforce to be able to deal with that growth. And that uh, both the uh, infrastructure itself and, and the staff have been um, placed under quite a bit of stress. Uh, and that also um, there is a bottleneck at the uh, check-in, also at the at the security as well. Um, Otto and Olives, I believe you just flew through Riga Airport uh, recently. So uh, what what's your take? Do you think that these concerns are legitimate? And uh, you know what do you think uh, could uh, be a solution to these problems? Uh, when we passed through the airport uh, the uh, last time, it wasn't so bad as they reported a couple of weeks ago when they told that uh, some uh, employees of the airport uh, were uh, sick and not uh, not in place and there uh, were some very long queues observed. Uh, at the same time, they did increase uh, the uh, runway and they did build additional terminal, but uh, the public part of the airport, the departure hall and uh, the place where they have the security check, I think it has stayed uh, in the same proportions as it was in 2004, which was the first time I used uh, the Riga airport. So I think that uh, they will have to uh, improve it eventually, especially if they plan to connect it with the Rail Baltica uh, in the nearest five years. Speaking of Rail Baltica, which you just mentioned, that is the next story. That is our train story. And uh, so again, for those of you who aren't familiar with Rail Baltica, this is a massive project to connect the three Baltic capitals uh, by high-speed rail, and also connect them with Western Europe's rail infrastructure, which uses a different track gauge or width than uh, than um, uh, th this area of the world does. Uh, and the major news that happened this week is that the Rail Baltica project, they signed a deal with uh, Bentley Systems, and that is a uh, IT company that is going to provide software solutions for um, for the uh, common data environment, which is going to be a cloud uh, data system. And uh, they're going to deal with all kinds of uh, IT aspects of the uh, project, which I think is important because usually when people think of a major uh, infrastructure project like this, they you know think of the, uh, the actual uh, rail and, and the actual um, you know, things that are built. But the software side is very, very important too. As, uh, I mean, Otto and Olives, uh, you know, how many times has there been kind of a rollout of some kind of new IT system that has not gone very well and has uh, led to some kind of chaos? Well, uh, certainly, I think uh, why to invent a wheel, uh, a new, if you have it in place, and uh, especially as this will be an uh, international project involving uh, the transit uh, networks of uh, at least three different countries, uh, I cannot see anything bad in uh, using an international uh, service provider to um, give us the system that we need. 
Yeah, so uh, hopefully that will result in a more smooth, uh, I don't know, uh, both uh, development of the project and then also uh, implementation as well. And the automobiles story, which we are going to cover before we get into rapid fire, this has to do with the European Union's uh, agreement about uh, CO2 emissions and the amount of CO2 emissions that different countries are allowed to have over the next few years. Uh, So there was an agreement uh, about uh, how how much CO2 each country is committed to um, having by uh, the year uh, 2030. And uh, one way that Latvia is going to have a very hard time meeting their commitments is with uh, its uh, automobile fleet, because uh, so many people are, are using um, used uh, cars, both cars that uh, you know uh, have been in Latvia for quite some time and also imported used cars from other countries, which are trying to get rid of their older cars that use lots of CO2. Um, and uh, according to uh, the data here that was reported on uh, Latvian public media, LSM, the average age of a Latvian car is 15 years, whereas um, uh, throughout the EU, it's closer to about 10 years. Uh, so, Otto and Olives, what do you guys think? Um, is this a uh, problem that's going to have any solution in the near term? Or And also, the, the other um, concern as well is that uh, the fine that Latvia is going to have to pay um, from uh, you know uh, the early 2020s on uh, could be passed back to motorists in some way. So, uh, w- what's your guys' take on this uh, issue? As a non-driver, I hope that I will uh, not end up... Uh paying part of the bill uh, and hopefully this might actually be the case that uh, it will be have to be borne by the uh, drivers in question. And uh, Olives, as a driver yourself, uh, do, do you have a take on this one? It's a matter of um, a level of living, it's, it's a matter of wealth in the Latvian population and from, from the one side, um, uh, we in Latvia, we tend to uh, we tend to buy uh, newer cars regardless of our uh, income uh, level. Uh, from the other side, uh, people are still saving on on their uh, means of transportation. Actually, I would say my, uh, for, uh, for myself, I'm still repairing my old car, uh, which is I think which is almost 20 years uh, 20 years old. Uh, but uh, but I can guarantee it's uh, it's it's in it's in a pretty good condition. But still, uh, in in many cases, uh, the safety situation on Latvian roads, uh, when we see uh, still very many uh, uh, old cars, and that not only maybe not only old, but but these cars may, may also possess danger for traffic and um on the roads so it's 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 still a problem but but overall i think that uh, the situation is not so bad then the things will get better and and latvians will keep spending money on on newer cars as as they as they do uh, so this the the situation is not so uh, not so bad and until and, and it, this will get better soon well, we uh, certainly hope so because uh, it is very important to meet our uh, commitments to uh, to these uh, targets. Uh, I think it's time to get into rapid fire because you guys don't have a whole lot of time yet uh, left. I think you guys have quite a busy evening scheduled. So uh, first of all, uh, one story that was very interesting for me this week, and I actually learned quite a bit that I didn't know about the uh, history of Latvia at the World Expo. So um, the 2020 Expo is going to be held in Dubai, and there was a report by uh, De Facto, which is the um, kind of uh, investigative journalism show on uh, LTV1, Latvian Public TV. And apparently, uh, Latvia is already kind of lagging behind its um, its uh, development of their Expo um, uh, stage their their area, and apparently there is fears that there could be a repeat of a big disaster that happened in 2015. And I will be completely honest; I knew nothing before I read about this about what happened in 2015. Uh, but when Otto and I were preparing for the show, Otto told me that he was uh, at the meeting where uh, quite a bit of drama happened. So, Otto, can you give people a little bit of a background on what happened in 2015 with the World Expo and Latvia? Yeah, so we have to remember that that time was particularly intensive, uh, both for the country and also for the public sector, because Latvia was the presiding country 
of the Council of the European Union and uh, there were a lot of projects uh, going on, many things happening for the first time and something that the Latvian public sector had to deal with uh, for the first time. And uh, most of the things uh, went on very well and uh, uh, we were lauded by the um, all in all um, result of the presidency and also uh, the effort of presenting Riga as the uh, capital of culture of Europe. Uh, at the same time, there were uh, some uh, projects that did not go through as planned and uh, so did uh, the application to participate in the World Expo in 2015. And on the one hand, uh, there was this problem in the public-private partnership or uh, perhaps this uh, lack of experience in large-scale projects uh, like this where you have both the public sector and the private sector involved. and. Uh, perhaps what we could see there and what we can see also today is this a, a little bit of naivete when it comes into understanding how the public service uh, has to work and what are the rules that it operates under because we understand that uh, whereas in the for us as private citizens we can do everything that is uh, not prohibited by the law uh, whereas for the public service the public sector can do only the things that are prescribed by the law. Uh, specifically, uh, if there are some procurements or processes or the money that should be spent that there is, you can do it in the only one way or only the ways that are permitted by the law. And sometimes the private partners who are involved, let's say in designing the pavilions or uh, drafting all the uh, planning and the um, communications and everything, sometimes they fail to understand this. And that results uh, in these occasions when we do not have the technical plans on time, we do not have the projects on time, they have to do the construction, they have to do all the time-consuming effort, but uh, before uh, do, to do that and before to <laughs> get the money into their account, you have to have the paperwork all right, because that is our public uh, money, that's our taxpayer money, and you cannot just throw it uh, uh, left and right. And of course, in uh, both of these cases, if you delays, that means that uh, let's say the construction office would have to uh, build the uh, pavilion uh, faster than uh, in the original time and that would mean that it would cost more than uh, usual and of course we are not dealing with the construction site in Latvia rather than a uh, construction site in Dubai uh, so uh, a, a lot of these difficulties uh, come uh, in contact with all others and just get compounded as an avalanche and so basically in 2015 uh, the Expo Latvia's participation in the expo uh, had to be abandoned after uh, quite a bit of development and actually quite a bit of money was spent as well. And uh, yeah, so th that's definitely not uh, something that Latvia wants to repeat. Uh, Otto and Olaf, do you guys think that uh, Latvia will be able to uh, avoid a repeat of the 2015 uh, kind of fiasco that happened there, or um, do do you think that uh, it's it's not looking good at this point? Well, I certainly hope so, because after 2015, uh, we have to remember the uh, very spectacular show that Latvia put in the exposition in uh, Astana, in Kazakhstan. And uh, there uh, we did a great job, and hopefully we have learned uh, from that and could use that as an example. And uh, it would still be possible for us to do so, because the foreign minister uh, affirmed uh, this uh, to the representatives of Dubai, and uh, also it is our interest to expand our presence in the Middle East region. So it would be uh, not beneficial for the national interest of our country not to do so. Well, uh, that's a story that we'll keep an eye on. Uh, another story which uh, I, I hadn't been really uh, following this, but uh, th this is uh, quite interesting here and uh, you know, it definitely has some uh, defense concerns. So I want to get your guys' take on this. Uh, so Saima has approved some amendments to uh, the... Um, uh, energy law. And this has to do with uh, removing different legal obstacles that have been in the way of uh, developing one kind of uh, common gas market, common natural gas market with Estonia and uh, Finland. And uh, so what's your guys' take on this? Um, do you think that this is going to be 
overall a positive move. So if these amendments do get um, you know uh, codified into law, and uh, we are able to um, uh, create a single ga- uh, natural gas market with Estonia and Finland, is this going to have an overall positive impact on both energy security and then also on the uh, energy prices as well? I would say uh, indeed this uh, this decision. Um, uh, remarkably changes our energy security situation uh, as it uh, really uh, benefits to the energy security uh, and allows us to uh, reduce uh, dependence uh, in the situation uh, f- from from Russia uh, and of course uh, this uh, this situation this decision will improve our energy uh, security uh, for Latvia and for the region. So great. We'll we'll have to see if that um, does have the the positive effect that you mentioned, because uh, you know certainly energy security is one of the top priorities when it comes to defense right now. A um, couple other quick stories. Uh, another energy related story. So uh, surprise, surprise. Lotvinergo was named the most valuable company in Latvia, and I think this is uh, more than a decade. Uh, yeah, it's the 11th year in a row that they have been named the Latvia's most valuable company in the uh, annual Top 101. Um, any surprises here, guys? Or uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, the second place was Latvia's uh, state forests, uh, but they were quite, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, value, quite farther down the list. No, I think that uh, there is no surprise there, you know. Uh, if we would use a Hollywood analogy, then uh, Latvian Ergo is the Meryl Streep of uh, Latvian corporate world. So uh, like in the Oscars, you're never surprised that they're nominated and uh, in many cases they do win. Um, one uh, economic story. So this is, uh, so we've been talking a lot about the budget lately, but we've been talking mostly about the 2020 budget for next year. Um, but one story about last year's budget, so for 2018, that the uh, budget deficit in 2018 was 0.7% of GDP. And I just want to make clear, so that's not the debt, that's not the debt of the country, that's the deficit. So the amount that's spent more than the amount that comes in. So that was uh, 0.7% of the country's GDP. That was uh, Latvia's uh, Central Statistical Bureau that came up with uh, those numbers. Uh, Any surprises here? I mean, from from what I've read, it seems like that this is right in line with uh, European standards. But uh, but do you have any take on this, uh, either Otto or Olaf's? I think that in general, that is a very uh, good news. And also this calculation uh, was done in line with the methodology of the European system of accounts, uh, which means that it is not only what we think, but also what Europe recognizes, (laughs) what the percentage of our GDP, uh, the debt, uh, not the debt, but the deficit was. So that's certainly good and better than for most of the EU countries. And the last rapid fire story, which I really want to be rapid fire because I'm very sick of talking about this topic. This is the ultimate clickbait topic whenever there is uh, kind of a slow news week, I think. And, uh, you know, the uh, news agencies have to come out with something because this is something that uh, people feel very strongly about and always share and comment about. Um, So uh, newsflash, the amount of newborns in Latvia is still decreasing. Um, I mean... We've discussed the reasons for this so many times before. Um, you know, it, it, this is a trend that is continuing. It, it is a trend that um, has been slowing down a little bit um, over the past. So, so the rate of um, you know uh, the, how much is decreasing has been has been slowing down, and the population decrease. But uh, you know, the, the, there are many reasons for why um, you know uh, people aren't having as many babies anymore. The uh, economic situation. Um, you know, both, uh, you know, because of a positive economic situation, also maybe because, uh, you know, there's, there's economic pressure against people from doing that. Uh, you know, also, uh, you know, people have been, younger people have been moving to other countries, have just culturally been waiting longer to have children. I, I, you know, I, you know it's, it's just one of these things that people love to uh, talk about and freak out about. But, you know, I, I, I don't know, Otto, do you think there's anything new to discuss here that we haven't already discussed before? No, I, I think that, that you are right on those points that you mentioned. And also, we have to remember that uh, among our uh, migrants to the rest of the EU, there are also families with children. So part of this statistic that we lose benefits the other countries of the EU, including the United Kingdom. And also we have to remember that in 1998, I believe uh, we had the lowest birth rate in the world. And so I think that this is uh, the heritage of uh, this uh, case and the 
children who were born there uh, so they would be around 20-ish now and so we could uh, feel this uh, uh, generational heritage uh, being given further to us so, so I don't think it's a big surprise So uh, yeah l- l- let's get into international stories uh, real quick uh, the first story <laughs> nobody says the B word so we do have to talk about the B word, which is what our British friends are calling Brexit because they do not want to actually use the word Brexit because they are so sick of talking about it. Um, we're also pretty sick of talking about it. The main issue here is that really we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. So I, I think after this week, which the events of which we could spend an entire episode talking about, but uh, thankfully we are a podcast about Latvian politics and news, not British, because uh, otherwise we would have our hands tied. Uh, I do think it was interesting that Sky News is uh, offering a pop-up channel where they only talk about non-Brexit related news, which I think really <laughs> kind of illustrates just uh, the insanity of what's going on right now. Uh, should be refreshing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I think the only thing that we just have to remind everybody is for uh, Latvians living in the UK or, you know, any, um, you know, EU citizens living in the UK, also for British people living here in Latvia or in other countries, just make sure that you follow all of the steps required to uh, legally register because uh, whenever Brexit happens, uh, you, you will need to be le- legally registered to be able to continue living there, even in the best case scenarios. Um, so, so just make sure that you do that. That's, you know, the thing that we just have to remind people every single week. But there's another B word, uh, which you guys can talk about. So this is observations from Berlin. Lynn, the Baltic Security Foundation workshop. Can you guys uh, tell us a little bit about this more positive uh, B word? Oh yeah, Joe, we, we love this topic, especially today as uh, I and Otto, we represent the Baltic Security Foundation. As our listeners uh, know it very well, and today in Berlin we gathered experts uh, across the Baltic Sea countries, uh, Baltic Sea partnering countries, uh, Germany, uh, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Sweden, uh, Poland, and uh, and we uh, we discussed uh, defense uh, issues uh, for the Baltic Sea region, um, and and it was very productive and valuable discussion, uh, and 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 uh, really uh, thanks to our hosts here in Berlin as well uh, so uh, it was a great day i think it, it was really been very beneficial uh, meeting and discussions uh, which we hope uh, will also benefit for the closer uh, security um, and defense especially defense cooperation among the baltic sea uh, partnering nations and uh, what i think is uh, very important the understanding that we uh, share today is that there are many uh, security and defense issues that we cannot uh, consider only uh, let's say within Latvia or within the three Baltic states we have to take into account uh, Germany, Poland, Sweden and the rest of the uh, Nordic states and I'm very happy that we were able to bring the experts from these countries to speak about this and to think about practical recommendations that we will hopefully uh, produce uh, at the end of the uh, Baltic Sea Security Initiative. Well, uh, I only have one word for you guys, uh, Malatsis. So, uh, so, so, so great work over there and, uh, and, and keep up the good work. Um, another international trip that happened this week. So as we uh, mentioned last week, uh, Mr. Uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky, the uh, president of Ukraine, he made an official visit to Latvia on October 16th, along with the first lady of Ukraine. Uh, so they, uh, I think he was probably happy to discuss something besides uh, the kind of impeachment proceedings of the United States. He was discussing uh, with Mr. Egils Levitz, our president, uh, the um, uh, bilateral relations between EU and the Ukraine, also uh, the Three Cs initiative. Um, one very kind of interesting thing, which uh, I, I read in the um, English version of the LSM article, apparently there were these uh, two protesters dressed up as chickens near Riga Castle, and uh, apparently they were protesting uh, egg imports from the Ukraine. Uh, but I have to imagine that this is such an obscure issue that probably is not on the forefront of uh, Mr. Zelensky's mind right now, that he probably just thought that you know it was some kind of stag party or just uh, some weird Latvian thing to dress up as chickens. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Uh, I would agree because 
I actually happened to be there by the Riga castle when uh, the president of Ukraine arrived and our president met him because I happened to uh, show a group of my uh, Riga Graduate School of Law students the old town. And uh, so we saw the both presidents and this uh, ceremony, and we also saw the protesters, but there were quite a few, and they were quite afar from the uh, castle, so I do not think that uh, the, either of the presidents uh, got a, a sight or heard uh, what these people were uh, chanting, so, so perhaps they... Uh, my advice to the protesters would be to find a more uh, amplifiable way how to put their message through. Are you, are you sure that wasn't you auto-dressed up as the chicken right there? I, 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 know, I know you feel very strongly about uh, Ukrainian egg imports, uh, so uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious now. The, 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 your, your alibi is that, yeah, you are with some students, but I don't, I don't know. This, this, this sounds suspicious. Well, you know, uh, the, in contrast to Mr. Nixon, I can tell you to check the tapes. <laughs> Okay. Well, anyway, um, yeah, just kind of a weird story there, but uh, but good good to see that um, you know Latvia and Ukraine are uh, continuing a positive course in their uh, international relations. Um, one uh, kind of an interesting little kerfuffle that happened uh, between this was uh, Finland and some other EU countries, including Latvia. So there was a lot of uh, countries that weren't so happy about one uh, budget proposal that Finland made. Uh, regarding the EU budget. And uh, right now, for those of you who are unaware, uh, Finland uh, is the uh, EU presidency right now, is the uh, EU council presidency. So that's a rotating um, position that different countries have over a six-month period. So Latvia had that uh, back in 2015, am I correct, Otto? We had the uh, EU presidency back in 2015? Exactly. That that was our first presidency uh, in the Council of the European Union, yes. So, so what, what exactly was the issue um, that uh, the countries had with this uh, Finnish um, proposal to the budget? Uh, what, what, what exactly were they unhappy about? So apparently the issue was the same uh, that the uh, representatives of the Baltic states and Poland announced in their declaration that we discussed on the show a couple of episodes ago. It is the question of the EU uh, cohesion uh, policy and also the common agricultural policy, meaning the money that the farmers get as uh, subsidies uh, and the amount of the money in relation to what uh, the farmers in other EU countries get and also this number of these uh, EU funds available for uh, infrastructure and other improvements so that it is both better connected to the rest of Europe and also uh, achieves a level more comparable to the more developed EU nations. And it seems like, uh, yeah, there, there was a few other countries, not not just the ones you mentioned that weren't happy about it. I also uh, saw in there. So, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's a proposal that's probably going to go through. Um, so that was Mr. Rinkevich, uh, Edgar Rinkevich, the foreign minister, who kind of made the formal protest about that from the Latvian side. Um, but he was also busy as well. He had uh, he was receiving the uh, foreign minister of Egypt, uh, which was the very first time that an Egyptian foreign minister has visited Latvia. And for a lot of our listeners out there, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal that, okay, yeah, so the foreign minister is visiting. It's not the president. It's not the prime minister. Um, but uh, so so for you guys who are more versed in uh, kind of international relations, why is it so important that the foreign minister uh, visited Latvia and that this is the first time that that's happened? Well, that is very important because that, of course, is one of the highest positions uh, of the government. Uh, if we look at the, uh, in, for the case of uh, Latvia, then the foreign minister is the uh, second most important minister after the president of the cabinet of ministers and also frequently serves as the deputy uh, head of the government in cases when the prime minister cannot do so. Uh, also, uh, it is very important as Latvia has its site on the uh, Middle East and uh, North Africa region, the economic cooperation, uh, and also the question that uh, Egypt is the most important uh, Middle East country, if we remember the, uh, its size of the population, close to 100 million people, and also its say over uh, the regional politics of, the, uh, of this part of the world. So uh, definitely a, a positive development in that direction. So we'll, we'll see kind of what comes out of that uh, meeting. Uh, I know you guys have to run. Uh, do you have time uh, for the week in history very quickly to explain what happened on the 24th of October, 1795? 
Yes, so uh, I will mention an uh, important fact from, from the week in history and now uh, Olives has an important fact for the week in future. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we will be very balanced today as usual. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so on the October 24th, uh, 1795 uh, was the date of the third division of Poland. And uh, it is a very important date because on uh, that was the final division of the Polish kingdom that was uh, uh, that was uh, delivered by uh, the empires of Russia, Prussia, and Austria. And it is important for Latvia because at that time Kurland or the uh, western part of Latvia, including Jalgova, uh, was a vassal of the Polish king, which means that uh, this was the time when the remaining part of Latvia, which was outside of the Russian Empire, became a part of it. And uh, that started this period until World War I, when all of Latvia was part of the Russian Empire. And uh, that uh, was also an important point for uh, the history of Poland because it uh, left the European map until uh, 1918 and uh, also uh, showed uh, another turn of Latvian uh, political history as previously were controlled by the German Crusaders and the Pope through the Catholic Church. Uh, Poland, Sweden and Denmark and uh, this uh, date of history uh, was uh, the beginning of the period of Russian domination uh, and uh, the effects of it that were changed only a little bit by the revolution of 1905 and then of course uh, by the uh, ending of the anarchy as a result of the bad luck during World War I. Uh, thank you Otto and uh, Olives I guess you have some week in the future? We have very good news for those who want uh, to visit the uh, National Library of Latvia for the first time or for another time uh, s since until uh, November 20 uh, in National Library of Latvia uh, will be featured the exhibition uh, which is called In Defense of Freedom British Military and Diplomatic Support to Latvia 1918 uh, to 1920 uh, it's very, this is very important uh, has been never been alone, especially uh, during the, the the times of um, when uh, when the f uh, f uh, war for independence uh, was fought, uh, and Brits uh, were our uh, closest allies at that time when uh, British ships arrived Latvian coasts and uh, and and helped us to um, uh, and helped uh, for our victory uh, during uh, the time. So I. Would like to encourage all of you uh, who are interested in this part of Latvian history and uh, and the role which which Brits played in this part of for gaining freedom for for the for the country. Uh, I I would like to encourage uh, the, uh, all of you to visit this, uh, this 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 exhibition and learn those history facts. Uh. And uh, as one of the experts that uh, were present. Uh, in the workshop of today mentioned and which is a fact that I didn't know that uh, uh, Great Britain uh, which at that time included both uh, what is today Great Britain and also what is today the Republic of Ireland so also uh, thanks to our Irish friends uh, the Kingdom of uh, uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain actually lost more uh, people and ships uh, during these events than it did during the Falkland conflict. So that shows the resolve that Great Britain showed us in our uh, fight against uh, Bermond and the relics of the uh, Russian and German Imperial armies. Absolutely, uh, definitely. I mean, you know, as the saying goes, a friend in need is a friend indeed. So, uh, so we think. Uh, you know, we, we definitely thank them for that. And uh, yeah, it sounds like an amazing opportunity to learn about that uh, history for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Um, unfortunately, this week, we do not have a sports section from uh, Joran and Oliver because unfortunately, Joran is sick. So uh, we want to wish uh, the best of luck to Joran as he's recovering. Uh, so many people are, are ill this time of year because of the, the weather, I think, and there's so many viruses going around. So um, we hope all of you out there stay healthy and we hope that Joran feels healthier very soon. Um, but there was some very positive sports news we'll mention really quickly. Uh, so Yelena Ostapenko won her first title in over two years. That was at the Luxembourg Open. And I understand you guys uh, saw her at the airport, didn't you? 
Uh, yes, we did, right? When we went to our plane to Berlin, we saw her uh, coming back with flowers, uh, smiling, apparently enjoying the great victory that she achieved. So uh, her, her career was in a little bit of a rough path, uh, rough patch over the last couple of years, but it uh, seems like she's back on top again. So uh, we wish her uh, the best of luck. Also, uh, Rebecca Koha. Uh, so uh, she won gold in the European Weightlifting Federation's Under-23 Championships in Romania. So congratulations to uh, Latvian, uh, both of these amazing uh, Latvian stars uh, for um, you know being able to uh, bring home uh, major titles. So uh, really, really amazing um, performances by both of them. Uh, one not-so-amazing performance, that was by uh, Mr. Kaspers uh, Gortz, which uh, I know Oliver and Joran will want to get into much more detail about him uh, next week when they do their sports section, but uh, he was dismissed from his job as a Latvian Football Federation's president um, for uh, a, a whole bunch of reasons, but mostly because uh, the federation has not been well uh, managed. So uh, we will hear a lot more about that next week. And uh, speaking of next week, or really just a few days from now, uh, I cannot wait to invite you guys back to Yelgava, both Otto and Olives. Um, Chris Achenfelds will be in Yelgava as well because we will be celebrating the one year birthday of the Latvia Weekly Podcast. That will be episode 52. There's 52 weeks in a year. Um, so uh, we are uh, very excited to, we're going to have a little bit of cake and and also record the new episode. So I cannot wait to see you guys over here in Yelgava. So, um, you know, I, I hope you guys have a fantastic uh, trip back. I, I hope you guys stay safe. Uh, any last words you'd like to say before I let you guys go? Well, uh, thank you very much, Joe. We both look forward uh, to uh, recording the uh, anniversary episode. And I have to remind you that, uh, as we saw in Berlin, the feeling of happiness is very relative. We saw that the uh, some Latvians are not happy with the EU budget deal, but even in uh, Germany, in the capital of Germany, we saw a lot of farmers driving big tractors in circles and trying to jam the traffic because they also are not happy about the money that they uh, possibly uh, receive. So we wish our listeners to have a peace of mind and to uh, be happy uh, with uh, what they have and uh, find this feeling of happiness or whatever the economic state they are in. Absolutely. I think that is great advice. You know, we always say the grass is greener on the other side. So thank you so much, Otto and Olevs. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your trip in Germany. Keep up the good work and I will see you on Sunday here in Yelgova. So and uh, for all of you listeners out there, thank you so much for uh, joining us this week. Thanks for joining us in other weeks. If you would like to subscribe to our Facebook page, uh, we have stories on the day there every single day. That's done by uh, Andrew and Carlos, our star story of the day team who are uh, uh, you know, uh, highlighting different important stories every day. So you can keep updated, not just once a week with this podcast, but more than that. Um, and uh, yeah, you can just go over there, give that a like. And uh, if you enjoy this podcast, you can mention it to your friends. You can give us a good review on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other place. And uh, we hope you uh, subscribe. So thank you guys so much. And we'll see you in one week for a very celebratory episode. Until then, be so Thanks, Joe. And uh, see you next week. Peace and love.